Well, several weeks ago, I began this consecutive expository series in the book of Ephesians. The letter, the epistle, the book, whatever way you want to refer to it. The, Paul, the letter that Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus or to the churches uh, at Ephesus and surrounding areas, as the case may be. The apostle last are so far in the first uh, verses 3 through 14 that we looked at the last three weeks. He basically is gone doxological, and that means just effusive praise. He's blessing God, praising God. When we talk about blessing God, we can't really add anything to him, but it's a way of saying praising him. And the Apostle Paul began with this great benediction all the way from verse 3 all the way to verse 14. And today, he continues, not with a great benediction, that's already in the rearview mirror, but now a great intercession. Paul is going to be praying for the Ephesians. And he's going to show us a lot about prayer and thanksgiving today, or thanksgiving and prayer. And that's found in our text that we're going to be reading this morning, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Hear the word of the Lord. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. May God add the blessing. To this, his holy word, let us pray. Father, hear now our cry for assistance and help. We have read your word, but Father, help us to understand it. And help us to grasp more of the riches and the depth and the height and the breadth of your blessings to us in Christ. 
Father, may it make our hearts ever more grateful for so great a salvation. All to your glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. No doubt, some of you, (laughs) I'm mainly talking about those of us with a little more age on us, um, some of you may recall an old hymn that starts like this. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Now, how many of you have heard that before? Come on, there's quite a few of you. As I said, mostly uh, folks with a, with a little, little more uh, time, a little more um, uh, in, in their life, but uh, nonetheless, uh, counting your blessings. You know, it seems that's what Paul has on his mind today. He's counting his blessings. That's what he's thinking about. He's already blessed, as I said earlier, God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit for their great benediction that we've seen so far. But now, he's going to give thanks for God's blessings to the Ephesian believers. Paul is not excited about his own blessings, his own personal blessings, the stuff that he has or has been given Paul is excited about what God has given his brothers and sisters in Christ. Isn't that interesting? What is our tendency? What is my tendency? Let's just say it that way. And I got to feel a lot of you can identify. My tendency is if I'm thankful, as I should be, I'm thanking God for this and that and the other and all the stuff and all the things he does for me. And, And that's good. That's rightfully good thing to do. We're supposed to be thankful in all things. But Paul is not thinking about himself and even his own blessings. He is so pumped and excited about the blessings that God has given to his Ephesian brothers and sisters. But he knows something that they don't know is they don't understand what they've got their hands on. They don't understand and comprehend how great this salvation really is. They don't realize its depth, its breadth, its width, its unendingness. And so Paul is giving thanks to God that they have this faith that, as we'll see, not only loves God, but loves one another. But Paul wants to bring blessing to them and encouragement today. As the title suggests, you see there on the screen this morning, Thanksgiving and Prayer. That's what this passage is about. And as I said, Paul first thanks God for having blessed us in Christ, and now he goes to praying. After having done that, after giving thanks, he turns to praying that God will open our eyes to grasp the fullness of these blessings. 
Now, by the way, this is not the, the only letter of prayer or long prayer or intercessory prayer that Paul is going to make in the book of Ephesians. He also will do so in chapter 3, verse 14 through 21. So that'll be the second prayer. But today, we're going to be, of course, looking at this one. Here's the outline, pretty simple. The recognition, Paul's going to recognize something important and note it. The intercession, which is another word for praying on behalf of others, not for ourselves, but in behalf of others and for the kingdom and things of that nature. And then the digression. So the recognition, the intercession, and the digression. And you're wondering what the digression is. I'll, 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 you'll get to figure that out a little bit later on. Okay, let's look at the recognition. That's in verses 15 through 16 in the text that I read this morning. Paul is prompted now because of what he's seen in the Ephesians and knows about them and their love for God and their love for one another. He launches into this prayer for his readers. He's got a heart to see them grow deeper and sink their roots deeper into Jesus. Paul had heard about the Ephesians and their faith in God. And as I said, he heard about their love for one another. Remember what 1 John 3, 14 said, we know that we have passed out of death to life. So how do you know that? One of the ways John says you can know that you are really a Christian, you're the real thing, not a counterfeit. He said, here's the way you know. Because we love the brothers and sisters. We love the brethren. We love our brothers and sisters. That's how you know. It's not how much you think you know. It's not about what you do. You know that you are in him because the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart and you share it with his body, one another. Paul says, whoever does not love abides in death. Now, Paul recognized the Ephesians' maturity. They were, unlike a lot of the other epistles that Paul would write. Do you notice, a lot of them, he has to kind of get on them sometimes. He has to kind of get on their case and point out problems and things. There's not as much of that in Ephesians. It's more high level, and it's also a lot more about uh, the Ephesians apparently were more mature than a lot of the other churches that Paul was writing to, encouraging. Paul had heard about the Ephesians and their faith. And so now he recognizes this maturity. That's the recognition. He recognized he's dealing with Christians that go deeper than just on the surface of understanding the gospel. He, they are beginning to apply and put the gospel into action. Put feet to the gospel so that it can run. Paul is doing that and he leads that, that recognition to, of the Ephesians' maturity leads him to give thanksgiving to God for what he had done in their lives. This new way of living was evidence that his work was not in vain also. It encouraged Paul. Because he realized, hey, what I've been preaching, the gospel I've shared, it's taking root. It's growing. It's running. And that was a great encouragement to Paul himself. And so he thanks God in this prayer. 
He knew the gospel was bearing fruit and that caused him to be thankful. So that's the first point, the recognition that Paul has and the thanksgiving that he gives. But Paul didn't stop at thanksgiving. He wanted them to know that he is praying for them. Paul said, I want you to know, not only are you blessed, but I, the Apostle Paul, am praying and will be praying for you. I don't know about you, but I cannot tell you what an encouragement it is to me to know that so many of you pray for me. And boy, you better not stop. I need your prayers. Every one of your prayers. You, can, you could not pray enough because I am that great a sinner. I need prayers. I am so thankful for I so many of you that I know pray for me. I, I'm thankful that when I sit in, a, in our prayer time every Sunday morning, I am never forgotten by our elders. Sometimes more than one pray. They, they, they probably are thinking inside, Lord, Joe is such a mess. Please do something with him. Only you can. But would you do something? And that's I need that prayer. That's the truth. But, but they, they don't forget. You, you also hear that all, as they come to the pastoral uh, uh, prayer each week, they, you, they almost always expressly pray for me. What an encouragement that is to me and my faith. And what a blessing it is. And that's what Paul is telling them. I'm going to be praying for you. And this is the prayer. This is the stuff I want you to grasp and know and understand. So, let's dive into the intercession. That's in verses 17 through 19. Paul is indeed thankful to God for the Ephesians already and what they're, how they're living and how they're practicing. But he also knows something. They need to know more of the depth and breadth and height of what God has done for them in Jesus so, in verses 17 through 19, as I said, Paul goes on an intercessory prayer for the Ephesians. Um, they need more knowledge, and they need more understanding of, of what God has done for them, and what's available to them, and they need the help of the Holy Spirit. Paul identifies that specifically, that the Holy Spirit, he's praying that the Holy Spirit will open their eyes, will enlighten them, will bring illumination, will bring revelation to them to understand what God has done for them and how great their resources are in Christ. This is how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 12 uh, two, 2 Corinthians 2, 12 through 14. He says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. He's saying, if you're going to understand biblical truth, you're going to need the help of the Holy Spirit. That we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. And then he says, in contrast, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Do you understand that 
God's word is spiritually discerned, which basically means it's a locked and closed book, even if you've got it open, unless the spirit of God enlightens and gives you understanding. It can't just be picked up and read like you read the Wall Street Journal and understand what is there. There is something in the Bible that is only spiritually discerned. It can't be understood apart from the Holy Spirit's help. I still think back, and as I've told you, and I've told you a little bit about my conversion experience just recently. But one of the things is, how come for so many years, it's not, it can't be that I didn't hear the gospel proclaimed. I grew up going to church most of every Sunday of my life. And these were not liberal, unbelieving churches. These were Christ-honoring, gospel-preaching churches. How come I could not even begin to understand what the gospel really was? How come it made no sense to me? I just thought you had to just do these things and do the right thing. Hopefully, it be good. I didn't have any idea. And why all of a sudden, when I'm 17, finally... It clicks on like a light bulb. That's because the Holy Spirit had to open my eyes and my mind to understand and discern the truth of God. You can't do it. Don't say, well, one day I'll read the Bible and I'll, I'll, I'll pay attention to what Christianity is saying. You can't determine that. It, may be a, it will be a closed book to you and to anyone is lost unless the Holy Spirit provide insight and discernment for these things are spiritually discerned. But Paul is praying that the Holy Spirit will help them. He is saying there's, there's a Holy, the Holy Spirit has come to help you grasp these important truths. Well, you say, well, what truths, Joe? What, what's he going to reveal? What's, what's Paul so excited about? In essence, he wants his Ephesian brothers and sisters to understand more of the nature of God's call upon their lives, more of their inheritance, the riches of their inheritance, and more of God's extraordinary, unending power. Those are the things that Paul is praying for them. I want you to get a grip on your calling, on your inheritance and the power of God for you. Now, what's the hope of his calling that Paul refers to here? What is this hope? The original word for hope there points to the fullness of our salvation. In other words, it's not a kind of partial thing. It's not something, like, well, I just hope maybe I'll get there when the day comes and I have to stand before God. I hope I'll be there. No, that's not... That's not that's not this word. This is a much stronger word in the original, and it points to the realization of the fullness. What we hope in will become a certain reality. There's no fragile confidence, but an assured hope that God, who called us to be his own, will bring us to final glory. Remember Philippians 1.6? He who began a good work in you shall perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. What's that? At the end of all things. 
what he started, the hope he gave you, he's not going to stop until it's all complete. Until you're with him and I'm with him. Now, as for the inheritance, what Paul is talking about, it could be either God's inheritance or our inheritance. How do we know the difference? Well, this is, again, when we talk about understanding our Bibles, one of the tools that we use is parallelism. In other words, if we don't know, based on the syntax, for sure, is it God's inheritance or or, or our inheritance that Paul is talking about here, All we have to do in this case is just flip over to another one of his epistles that's actually very kin to this one and not too far away, the church of Colossae. And there we read this. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you, meaning the Colossians, in this case the Ephesians, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So it is God's gift bestowed to us, an inheritance. We are God's treasure and inheritance. But in this case, Paul is saying, I believe God has an incredible inheritance for you. And you don't have any possible way of comprehending the greatness of that and how rich it is. What It is impossible to know and understand what God has prepared. Remember? In Romans, Paul said, to, to understand what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, Paul's third truth concerns God's exceedingly great power. And that power, in this case, in context, is not to, to crush, but to empower and enable us to be his and to walk with him through thick and thin. That power is put out to not only accomplish God's purposes, but one of those purposes specifically is to bring his people home safely. Paul has has this in mind on their behalf. Some of our translations say toward, of his great love, toward, our power toward, or perhaps better, it's for. The word for conveys. It's because it's in behalf of, in behalf of us. It's his great power, but it's employed here in behalf of us. Not just directionally out there toward, it's specifically for God's people, for us. Listen again to verse 19. Listen to what it says. This power, talking about this power, is above every name that is named. I'm sorry, I'm I'm the wrong verse. Uh, Verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us or for us who believe according to the working of of his great might. Now this power from God on our behalf overcomes all resistance. It it will be there when the people of God need it. It will be resisted 
There will be other things that try to overcome us, but God's power will be sufficient. His grace will be sufficient for us. There's a story told, or actually it's not a story, it's a true account. And back in the uh, days before World War II, um, WW2, there was a great fire in Texas, in a small Texas town, that killed, took the lives of 263 children. What a tragedy. 263 children. It was in, if I can say it correctly, Itasca, Texas. I don't know if that's the correct way to pronounce that, but that'll do for today. Now, of course, just took the whole town, just an incredible tragedy that they suffered through. In time, the war was won. And people began to come back to their towns and rebuild. And there was a determination in this proud town to rebuild the school that had burned down and taken so many of the children with it. And they were absolutely committed to put and bring back the most fireproof school in this country. It literally... They said, we are going to have a school that has the greatest sprinkler system in the world. And eventually, the town grew, and it expanded. And then many years later, because of its growth and because of its expansion, they had to build a new wing onto the school. But you'll never guess what they found when they built the new wing onto the school. In the process of that new attachment to the building, they discovered that all along, since they had rebuilt, all along for years, the sprinkler system was never hooked up. could have burned down in a New York minute. All those years, thinking they had the greatest sprinkler system in the world. And it wasn't even hooked up. Now that, that is just, that's just mind-blowing to think about that. But you see, what a fitting parable. This story is a fitting parable of what most Christians have at their disposal and don't even know it. We go living our lives, walking around, living life in this world as if we are virtual orphans. You've heard me talk about that and others, about living like orphans. That's when God's children don't realize the blessings that are theirs, the power that God has given them. They think they're at the mercy of every evil influence there is, and yet God is saying, no, you're not. I am greater than all these powers. 
that may be arrayed against you. I will not let you go. Lean into me. Take my strength. I am providing power for you. Instead, we often live as if we have no power. We have lives that often resemble orphans. We just go around thinking, well, you know, I, I just wish I wish I could I wish I could do better, but I just don't have enough power. Yeah, you do. The problem is you and I don't look to the power source. It's there. We plug into everything else. Rather, into the fountain that is open for sin and uncleanness. We keep going to other trees instead of going back to the vine. There's where the power comes from. It's in Jesus. It's not in you, in me. It's in him. But he will cause that to flow in our, as we look to him. But usually we go try to find and fix whatever it is and whatever battle we're fighting on our own and our own resources. And of course we come up empty. Of course it's not enough. But we're not tapping in to the true source of power. And Paul says, I want you to realize, you guys, you think you are right in Satan's back porch. You are right at, at, the, at the devil's doorstep. You, you see all the evil around you, and you think you're about to be overwhelmed. I'm telling you, I'm praying for you, and the power of God is greater than any other. You will not be. The digression. Just briefly, verses 20 through 23. I don't know about you, but I often get distracted when I pray. <laughs> Anybody ever have that happen to them? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it happens to me a lot. I get started praying, and I'm praying, and I'm praying, and the next thing I know, you know, something distracts me, and then uh, five minutes later, I'm still driving at the wheel and realize, wait a minute, I was praying five minutes back. What happened? You know, 50,000 other thoughts, you know, went through my brain. But you know what? I'm glad to know that I'm good company. The Apostle Paul got distracted many times since when he was writing. We've already seen one example of that in this uh, 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 book of Ephesians. And here he goes again. Here he is working away at intercessory prayer. And then, bang, Paul gets off on a tangent. He goes and digresses. He goes off into a digression on the power of God. When he just thinks about that, it, blow, it just blows him off course. And then he starts going into not a prayer anymore. He's just going once again into doxology. And just being overwhelmed and trying to say, Oh, if you understood how great this power is. He went off in a digression on the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand in rule over all things. Paul just can't lay off that pitch, but it's a good pitch to hit. Paul tells us that the surpassing great power of God 
the surpassing. He said, you can't even begin to comprehend how great this is. Has already been demonstrated in the resurrection of Jesus and in his exaltation and ascension. And it is going to carry the day until the end of days. And nothing is going to stop it. We all know that death is bitter and relentless enemy. And we can perhaps try to cheat it. We can try to postpone it and maybe do that, but we can't ultimately escape it. But the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is God's demonstration and proof to us that we too will be where he is. We too will rise as he rose from the dead into an immortal, glorious new life that the world had never seen before. For the first time was Jesus. He was the prototype, but it won't be the last. We're going to follow in his trade. We're going to be going where he's going. Paul's digression continues, and he tells us about his universal lordship. It's not just that he was raised from the dead and ascended. Now he's been set as king on God's throne. This references back to Psalm 110.1, where it says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my foot, your footstool. Sit doesn't mean a posture. It's talking about a place of authority and enthronement, of authority. Continue to reign, my son, until one day all of your enemies will be made your footstool. Which is a way of saying there will be no rivals. There will be no one that can broke his will and his authority. Not in heaven, not on earth, not under the earth. Whether good or bad, the angelic powers will be in submission to our Lord Jesus Christ, the ascended king. Jesus is the completion, the fulfillment, and the end of all things. Do you realize it was always from the beginning going there? And there's nothing in heaven or hell that will stop it from reaching that point that's where it's always been going from the beginning and that's where it will never end it will be forever Paul says as you're getting pummeled and beaten up by the world as you're getting getting slapped around as you're, as you're getting misunderstood all whatever it is that's going on in your life he says don't forget of how much power, how many resources are yours in Jesus Christ. You're not an orphan. Don't live like it. Don't succumb to it. Lay hold of what you have in Christ. Lay hold of him. Lean into him. Draw life from him who is life everlasting. Remember that little him that I started with, count your blessings. Here's how it ends in the last verse, the fourth verse. So amid the conflict, whether great or small, do not be discouraged. God is over all. God 
is over all. That's what Paul is saying. Count your many blessings. Angels will attend. Help and comfort give you till your journeys end. Amen. To God be the glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that there is no real end for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Father, we, we know that because your son was raised and exalted to the highest place in all creation, Father, we know that we will be there with him and that his power is enough to strengthen us for your will for us here on this earth. Father, help us to count our blessings as Paul did as we go. And we pray this now and ask for this help and for the broadening of our understanding of so great a salvation in Jesus' name. Amen.